Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Ruby, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you for having me. Yeah, glad to have you on. And uh, with everybody I have on the show, before we get into what's happening now, I like to go back to the very first moment that you saw something, watched something, like something sparked the creative side of you. If you remember that very first kind of creative spark, what was it for you? I feel like for filmmaking, there was this show in Australia called uh, Puberty Blues, which was very like Skins-esque, but set in the 70s Australia. And that director did so well with uh, showing emotions in a really believable way that I felt like I wanted to start making films and start showing emotions through a visual medium like that through directing, I guess. Uh, So that was when I sort of realized that was a job that you could create moments from real life and show them to other people and it just seemed fun and he made it really special so that was that sort of the moment I decided I wanted to do film and how old were you around that time maybe 16 okay okay and so did this like practically play out instantly was it like now I'm running around with a camera and trying to do something or was it something where it's like I'm gonna sign up for film school when I get out like what was kind of the the effect it had on you? I was in uh, photography with some of my friends at the time. So I was doing sort of still frame storytelling uh, back then. And then I ended up going to uh, art school fashion centric in London. And I remember in my first year, I was like, oh, maybe I should have done film school. But I talked to a few people and they were like, it's totally fine to come in from a different angle. And my work, I feel like is a little more fashion centric. Like that's sort of the stylization, the aesthetic that I like. So I think it actually was a nice way to marry the two things I'm interested in is to study theoretically how to make fashion imagery and then to practice it on other people's productions, I guess is how I started out. So it was nice to kind of have an angle to come in to work with people. Well, I know like photography is super helpful going into cinematography because you're thinking of framing and like there's, there's a lot of crossover between those two things with fashion being another element that's extremely visual like how does that affect what you're thinking about when you're shooting because you know I know for myself like I'm not fashion-minded you know so when I'm shooting that's not something that's crossing my mind um how does that affect how you're you know shooting or what decisions you're making behind the camera I think it's very it helped me find a personal aesthetic uh because I felt like I was honing in on other imagery that I liked and it helped me find my eye Uh, and I can do things that aren't fashion centric as well but I just think the composition and the like the color treatments that I like tend to go hand in hand with fashion media Um, like even the my photography I think like the framing and the sort of without going to beauty aspect I think there's sort of a way that uh, fashion media presents itself and it changes all the time uh, but it's just a different scope, I guess, of finding stylization uh, 
versus uh, like environmental portraits even. I feel like I kind of lean into a sort of fashion centric way to frame and light and everything like that. How do you balance stylization versus like realism? You know, like you mentioned when you're Mm. shooting, especially for some of your work, you're shooting on locations or you're doing behind the scenes stuff, but you're also doing these very glamorized, you know, poses that are ending up in magazines. So like, Mm -hmm. how do you balance like actually showing what's there versus crafting an image? Yeah. Interesting. I think uh, on film shoots with actors, they're sort of a little more attuned to creating moments like that, that feel less crafted to an audience. Whenever I shoot with real people, like I work in commercials here and everything. And sometimes it's like the actual head of the company that I'm taking a photo of, who's not comfortable in front of a camera and who's saying like, you have to tell me what to do. Like sometimes they feel a little bit awkward in front of it. And I always tell them, which I've gotten good feedback from, um, I always tell them to like almost create an alter ego and you have to play a part and it sort of helps you remove your own self-conscious of like, I don't really smile like that or I would never be like typing and smiling like this in my office, you know, like, and it helps them sort of move away from that stock image posing because it's almost like it's not them. And it's like, you can sort of embody like the, the head of the company you want to be in five years or, you know, it sort of helps them find a confidence and helps them remove their own, not doubt, but I guess there's sort of like a hesitation or a little bit of a, like you're wearing the wrong size clothes feeling when you're photographing people that aren't used to it or working with um, people in interviews and everything. So I always tell them to like try and play a part. And I think that helps ground facial expressions. I think it helps ground their movements. Um, And I think that takes away sort of the clunkiness of setting up a scene and actors do that already. So on set, it's sort of fine, (laughs) but that's always my advice when I work with people that aren't used to being photographed and it's going to be like blown up on their company site or something. And they're like, Oh my God, it's embarrassing. And it's like, no, it's fine. Like this looks good because you're playing a part. Yeah. I love that idea of like embodying the person you're going to be in five years. I'm going to steal that from you. Cause I think that is, it's something I didn't exercise like, two years ago and um it was it was like kind of it was a little woo-woo manifesty you know kind of thing and and they had you write a letter to yourself at the end of the year like basically saying congratulations on accomplishing these things and I don't get into a lot of practices like that but that specific thing of going like hey it's the end of the year congratulations you did this 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 and this it gives you this confidence going through your day to day where it's like, I'm living like that person to accomplish the thing that I want to accomplish. But I love that in kind of the micro of doing a photo shoot and talking to somebody. Um, I'm definitely going to steal that next time I'm (laughs) filming with somebody. Yeah. Uh, That's, that's really interesting. Um, Yeah. I think it's super effective. Well, I got to ask you kind of stepping practically into this, into this world. There's so many different opinions within the photography world, within, I mean, cinematography world um, about film versus digital, like, you know, uh, all of these different, you know, things about how to do this the right way, you know, which is usually just the right way is the person talking about it. Um, For you, talk to me about, you know, your kit, like when you're walking out, like I'm always carrying these 
three items with me. Like this is my non-negotiables when I'm going to a shoot or going, you know, on set to take set photos. I primarily shoot digital. I learned to shoot on film, which I actually think was a really good way to learn photography. Cause I feel like when I walk on set and there's some horrible lighting situation or like art department thing where you're like, Oh my God, someone's going to be like in a silhouette if they want the background like in the photo or something like that. I think knowing how to manually adjust the camera and not just lean on it, auto adjusting has been super helpful. So I'm glad I got that background and same with Photoshop and everything like the burn and dodge tools. Like I'm glad I learned that practically um, to transpose into my digital work. When I leave my house, I shoot on a a digital Leica here that can do a, video uh, because sometimes I have to roll for people um so I have I bring my digital camera I do have a uh, my mom just lent me her m6 but I haven't bought film for it yet but I'm really keen to use that one um because I haven't used film in years um and then usually uh I usually don't bring my own lights usually production I work with dps if it's a, a motion shoot Um, so I'll just move around what they have if I need to, but I guess like good for a kit is like having like white fill, uh, sorry, white bounce and like black fill is always nice to like sort of help, uh, adjust what you're working with without being like, oh, the lighting's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Are you, are you swapping lenses quite a bit or do you just have one lens you're, you're rolling with all the time? The one, I just got a camera a couple months ago and I only have one lens that mounts onto it, um, which I think is like 28 to 75, something like that. Um, I usually don't like shooting super wide. I don't usually shoot wider than 35 and I sort of lean on portraiture. So I feel like 50s, I sort of prefer the look of that. Um, But 50 to like 90 is probably my favorite for portraiture but obviously there's some situations we have to be wider um but yeah I've never shot wider than like 28 I think yeah I noticed that looking through just your work I was like this all feels like 50 to like 75 range um yeah and and I like it because there's a lot of really cool layers especially looking through like the Elvis behind the scenes like there's like these really soft foregrounds and backgrounds and then like this one point of focus that's really eye-catching um I, I i have to ask really quickly you mentioned your mom yeah. lending you a, a camera um so your mom is in the industry which is something yeah. that it's rare when i talk to people usually it's like my parents were doctors and they really didn't want me to go into film you know because they didn't think it was a real career and you know so it's really cool talking to people whose parents are one creative and understand that world but two i have to imagine it can be intimidating having an accomplished cinematographer as your parent while you're learning to be a cinematographer and photographer. Um, it's got to feel like, I don't know, making dinner and your dad is like Gordon Ramsay, you know, it's like, it's got to be a little bit intimidating. Do you, did you feel that pressure like growing up where it's like, I don't even want her to see what I'm working on or was it like, <laughs> or was it kind of a mentorship where it's like, what do you think about this? And very collaborative in that sense. Yeah, it's funny you said the Gordon Ramsay thing. My dad is a chef, or he was a chef before. <laughs> there you go, I double whammy. And he is like in the kitchen. He'll be like, "Cut your fingers back." Like he's. Uh, but both of them are very. They want to like share what they do with me, and I'm an only child. Um, they got married in their like late thirties, so they were sort of like 
very, they were very much sharing their lifelong passions with me growing up. Um, and I think I never particularly wanted to be a cinematographer. Um, I do like photography and directing, um, but cinematography, I think has always been something that I liked her telling me about, but wasn't something that I wanted to do. Uh, and she's very uh, generous with sharing information and like we run things by each other when I'm doing my own shoots and everything. Like she's very supportive, but also careful not to over uh, help me when I'm doing things. Like obviously I can ask her advice and be like, how do I fix this problem or things like that? But she's always cautious that she, like she doesn't shoot my stuff for me because she was like, I don't want it to look like I made that film or like that was my decision. Cause when I work with DPs, obviously, cause I have like such a background of living with a DP, but uh, I do like being involved in that element. And I think she just doesn't want to seem like it's like, she's taking credit for my ideas or just from like a viewership perspective that it's her work that I'm like trying to take credit for. So I've always worked with uh, like up and coming DPs and everything that I've met like now um, the my friend that shot the last two films of mine was like a B cam operator who got bumped up to be splinter unit DP on Elvis and got to do like Mad Max like action unit and stuff. Uh, he's a really talented DP. His composition's amazing, and we work really well together. And he sort of trained under my mom, so I guess it's a nice way that we sort of speak in the same visual language and we like the same aesthetics. Uh, and we communicate really well. So we've had a good time working together. Yeah, that's super, super cool. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious when you're looking at collaborating with somebody, you know, because especially coming from photography, which is so, so much a solo thing, you know, you can be the fly on the wall somewhere and grabbing amazing photos that you, you know, obviously there's other people involved in, you know, putting a set together and like there's elements there that you're obviously leveraging, but as far as the actual act of creation, it is one of the few things you can do purely by yourself. It's like painting or, or other art forms like that. When you're stepping into a collaborative effort with somebody who is now your DP or who is now, you know, an actor and you are trying to manage all these different parts, like, is it difficult to go from, okay, this is my vision to now let me take some input from my cinematographer who obviously I picked because they can do this with an eye that might be better than mine or might, you know, they may be thinking about it in different ways than me. How do you branch out and start taking everyone else's kind of individual talents and, you know, collaborating in that way? Yeah, that's a good question. I really like working with people that have their own ideas. Uh, and I guess it is, like being the photographer or the director on a shoot, like you're sort of captaining a ship. And I like people to be self-sufficient in a way where I can tell them what I'm looking for. I show them like very specific references and then they can go off and do their own research. And then I love hearing when people come up with their own ideas, especially DPs and costume designers, production designers. I want to work with people that have good ideas. And I want to set them up to succeed. And we're all on the same about you know like it's sort of I like that people can contribute and they feel really proud of what they're doing and they have room to experiment and research and do their best work in this realm of what the photographer or the director is 
creating. Like, I feel like there's a through line through all the departments communicating with me and putting the environment together and putting the bigger picture together. That's really fun when you have people that are coming up with their own ideas and are doing their own research because they're obviously going to stumble across things that I would never stumble across and it's like that's so cool that's our costume we're like that's so cool that's the lighting color treatment we're going to do well you have a new uh, film a new short film coming out in February what were some of the big inspirations behind it if if you can talk about it uh, what are some of the uh, what are some of the biggest inspirations or things you're thinking about going into that yeah well I pulled some of my Elvis co-workers. So it was like the director's assistant and the costume designer, production designer's assistant and the splinter unit DP uh, and the someone that was working in the composing department. They're all sort of young, up and coming people and they're all really talented. Uh, so we're working with this executive that produced my last films uh, and we decided to do an animation, uh, a children's horror that's very Corpse Bride, Caroline, which is... I, for me, that's very up my alley because I feel like that's fashion centric. Uh, yeah, that definitely. Sort of, yeah, that like stylization of being scary without leaning on uh, gore or violence or jump scares. Like it's, I think that it's going to be really fun. And our references for the visuals have been really cool. We're just getting our concept art back now for the character designs. And there's like a, a monstrous little boy kind of ghost-like figure that we're having a lot of fun designing. Is it, when you say animation, is it like hand-draw animation? Is it like stop motion, like the films that you reference? Like what's the, what's the visual style? It's virtual production 2.5D. So right now it sort of looks like The Sims. And then they're going to flatten it to a more of a 2D style with a bit of depth. So it's going to end up looking like into the Spider-Verse style. Use the same technique. And it gives us a little more liberty to play around with the cinematography and the production design because you're not locked into a a shot. You can kind of look around at this stage. I'm interested in animation like you described. Like I've really enjoyed yeah. like, you know, Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse and, and these very unique kind of styles. I've gotten really tired of the just kind of basic 3D animation Mm -hmm. i understand there's an art form behind it but it's just something that animation has kind of just looked one way for a really long time and so now you're getting these really breath of fresh air projects that are that are making me interested in that in that kind of genre um so i'm really excited to check that out um when it comes out um what's been the biggest thing i know you said you're just kind of in previs right now like what's been the biggest thing you're already going like this makes me nervous. Two things are jumping to mind. The first is how prepared you need to be in prep. Uh, like my cinematographer and I had to block out every single thing. And it's almost harder when you can do anything. Cause you know, when you show up to a location, that's obviously parameters that you can't, you know, shoot from that direction. Cause there's a wall here or there's like sort of uh, restrictions. And with this, they can work around any restriction. So having blank slate to do whatever you want is daunting and then the other thing I've realized that I need to focus on that I'm not used to is that people can't be still in the background like every character needs to have like a fluidity to them that they're not just like frozen in the back but then they can't be like fidgety in the back like there's such an art but I'm talking to some of my friends that work primarily in animation and they're obviously much more attuned into that but I'm like what are they doing in the back like I, I have to like really get in that character's head right now to figure out 
what they would be move why they wouldn't be like stock still in the background do you feel like starting with film has kind of helped you in terms of like patience and being very economical with what you choose to shoot um and then stepping into animation like do you think that's something that's helping you like when you say there's a blank canvas you can kind of sit down and go like if i was shooting this practically and i could only do this you know i'm going to take my time and really choose these shots yeah that's such an interesting connection i think unknowingly I work like that and I don't love going back and forth about things I like being pretty sure beforehand obviously there's nice moments you can discover at the time but I'm always pretty sure what I want beforehand so it's been uh yeah exactly like with film like the sort of like a surprise before the day where you're hoping all the ducks in a row and there's going to be something that's not and you have to work around it and sometimes that makes it even better than you thought because you came up with a really clever solution and it made a better visual than if you would have planned it and got what you wanted the first time like you know those sort of happy accidents where you had to like make a split second decision and then it ended up being really unique and cool and it was like oh I wouldn't have thought to do that because I had no need um so yeah I think definitely that premeditation I think especially the style that we're working in right now is technology that developing for live action to be able to visualize like a pre-visualization uh, system. So I'm glad that's sort of like why everyone I'm working with is from live action. So they're all sort of keen to learn right now how to use these tools and how to like communicate with people that operate the tools on something small before it gets integrated into big productions. Right. And you're happy to test it out, right? Yeah, absolutely. I get lessons. We get like these little crash courses from people that are so interesting. And so they're really taking it slow with us and like making sure that we're grasping it. So they're not like taking the wheel off us or anything. Oh, that's super cool. I have to ask you about Elvis um, because the movie, I would say, had some cultural impact uh, when it came out. <laughs> First, I got to say, like you mentioned you know, when you can do anything, you know, that having that discipline and being able to control that, you know, in a way is, and it instantly made me think Elvis, because when I sat in the theater, all I thought was like Boz Lerman is if he takes his hands off the wheel at any second, this whole thing goes off course because it is like, there's this level of insanity to it. And all of his films are like that. Moulin Rouge is like that, where it's like, if a different filmmaker tried to have this much frenetic energy in one movie, it would explode and it wouldn't work. And Elvis obviously works all the way through, but I have to ask on set to me, it was stressful. Like I was watching, I was like, I don't know how you edit this movie. I don't know how you shoot this. I don't know how there's this many locations. Um, but then you see behind the scenes, like you've posted where everyone's dancing and having a good time. Like, was it always like that? Or was it this like very Stanley Kubrick, like everyone be quiet. We have to do another take of this. It's, you know, like what was kind of the energy on, on a set like that, that has a massive budget, you know, a large amount of big names working on it. Like what was kind of the energy around the camera? It was very much dancing behind the scenes fun set. And I think that's a credit to Baz that he does run a really fun set and he makes your job feel important to you. Um, so it is like a nice, cause when we do long days or their night shoots or something and, you know, people sort of start flagging um, energy wise and he's so good at making 
everyone have fun while we're working. So it, it was like being at a concert and hanging out with Elvis and the Memphis Mafia. Like they they did a and because they built everything so practically, it was like being there. So it was right. it was fun. It definitely wasn't um, high intensity. Everyone be quiet. It was like we're well, shooting a concert. Like let's it makes the camera move more. Like you're at a con, like it was fun. Everyone leaned into it. Everyone had a good time. You just buy into the fun, and it is fun. Were you there from day one? I mean, because I've seen pictures from makeup test, or were you in and out throughout the production? Like, how are we there from like beginning to very end? I actually signed up to do like a data wrangling job on that movie. Uh, I didn't sign up to do stills or anything, and then they got. Uh, Leica cameras to use that were manual. So I was showing that one of the director's assistants asked me to give him like a crash course on how to operate the camera. And then uh, it was during a hair and makeup test and he was like running around. So he's like, do you mind shooting a hair and makeup test? And then the director was like, who took these? Like you can take all the hair and makeup tests. So I did all the costume tests as well. Um, and then once production started, there was like a fashion photographer, Hugh Stewart, who's like a big deal. He's like a, you know, a hotshot photographer. Um, and he couldn't be on set for the first two weeks. So they were like, oh, can you come on and cover for him while he's not here? And then when he came, I thought he was going to be like, you know, like get out of my way or something is stepping on my toes. But he asked to see my photos. And then he went to production was like, we shoot really differently and get really different stuff. I think we should both shoot. Uh So overall, I think they had, including myself, they had four photographers coming in and out. I think I was the only one that was there every day because I was like doing my other job at the same time. Um, And then they had me do another job in editorial pulling uh, still frames from the video footage because they liked the selects I was making. Um, So I was doing about three or four jobs on that film and I'd come home and finish it up because I wanted to make sure I like covered all of them properly and I knew I could like do some stuff from home on the computer um but yeah I went in and shot every single day on set and then they had uh Hugh was there like most of the time as well he was a really cool photographer he shot like a little wider so that's why I actually leaned into the portraiture lenses because I was like well that will just like guarantee even if I'm standing in a similar spot like there's a lot of the scenes where we're hiding on set and uh, like we're just walking around with the camera operators and everything being like, if I'm here, can you see me or am I good? Um, and sometimes we had to be in the same spot or we'd be like ducking under cranes and everything and being like, there's a good spot here for the next take. Like you should jump in here. So we worked really well together, Hugh and I. And we're sort of joking. It's like war photography because you are like literally hiding and ducking and like trying to get out of people's way while you're looking at what you're doing. Yeah, I, I don't think... There was a day that I didn't go on, but there may have been, I might've got caught up with something one day, but yeah, that was, I was there from beginning to end. So you just didn't sleep for months basically is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. You had your own <laughs> Colonel Parker just propping you up and say, you got to go yeah. back out there. Um, no, that's, that's super cool. And as far as photos, I mean, how many photos do you think that you took over that Ooh. course of time? Yeah, I think at least like 5,000 a day. Um just because it's sort of like snap, 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 snap. And then I'd just go through them that night. Um, and obviously some are better than others. And some of them were lucky or it's like, I wouldn't have taken that photo. Right. And I just snapped and it was a really cool accident. Um, 
but yeah, I reckon like 5,000 a day or something like that, a couple thousand a day. Hmm. Um, and then I whittled it down to like, I think like 20,000 selects and then like 2000, like photographers favorites, right. um, which I gave them everything, but I always sort of like make sure there's a folder where no one's like blinking or like mid sentence. Right. And then there's a folder. I'm like, if you're going to use a shot from this scene, I think this is the best one. So I always try and I've learned the hard way. Cause whenever I like, just give them, give a client all the photos and they kind of like randomly pick out of it. And you're like, why would you choose that one? Not the really nice one. <laughs> right. No. And there was a, there were a couple scenes you were costumed as like an extra yeah. with camera in hand too, which I thought was, which really cool you're you're in two scenes yeah that's like that? a, the 70s uh showroom the international hotel they put me in a costume and these really high heels i had to have my um my sneakers under the table because i'd jump up on stage and then hop back down between takes uh but yeah that was so much fun they they dressed all the extras like characters like they had this whole yeah wardrobe situation I have a really big head so I always had to have like the leftover wig that was in my size uh which weren't always the cutest haircuts on me but <laughs> we worked with it uh but yeah and then the 50s the Russwood uh the camera the Leica camera I was using hasn't changed its design since the 30s so I just had to turn off the digital review screen and then I could be on camera with it um so and they'd get like, they dressed it in the fifties one with like the old fashioned flash and everything. Uh, but yeah, that one was allowed to be on camera so they could get me pretty close to shoot like right in Austin's face, which was fun. I mean, you're huge into fashion and mm -hmm. this is, uh, I didn't know how you ended up getting the job. So that's super cool that it was like, yeah, I'm here to do this. And now I've, I've really stumbled into after showing what I can do. I'm being yeah. given the reins to really have free range on a set and just probably, and you're shooting with people. I mean, you're shooting with like Austin Butler, you know, who like, yeah. that's an easy person to photograph, you know, like you've got this really cool um, opportunity in front of you, but as someone who is obsessed with fashion, seeing some of these photos get put into Vogue and Prada, like what is the emotional feeling seeing your photographs printed in fashion magazines that I'm sure a couple of years earlier, you were just rifling through looking at yeah. going, this is amazing. It was such a special feeling. And it sort of does, I get a bit of like imposter syndrome a little bit where it's like, oh, I can't believe like you chose my photos for that. The first photo they released from the movie, I'm pretty sure was the one of uh, Elvis and Priscilla that got released in Vogue where they're like sitting on a green rug and that was I didn't know they were about to release that and it was on my birthday that it got posted so that was a fun little coincidence nice little birthday present I saw that you posted your favorite photo from the movie it's it's from the mm -hmm. carnival it's it's Austin it's a very it's what we've described it's very soft foreground and then Austin's like in very crisp focus in the center um, why does that photo specifically stand out to you as your favorite? Because I mean, again, you're taking 20, you know, thousands and thousands yeah. of photos. What it is about, what is it about that photo that really stands out to you? I loved, it's funny you mentioned Stanley Kubrick earlier. I really like how purposely he uses foreground. Um, and I sort of had to jump out of the way of the shot, uh, to be where I was standing there. Uh, and then I was like, oh, I may as well, like, he's sort of getting this, like, bounce on him that's lighting him, because that shot they were shooting was from behind him. Um, 
so I like fiddled around with the settings and snapped that moment. And I was like, I love this picture. I think it looks like a painting. Um, and he, Austin's quite into photography as well. So oftentimes like the photographers would always show him cause he would like cut and then he would like pose. My camera had a, a mirror in it so you could hear it going. So he'd always kind of like give me a few shots before um, like we'd have to roll again or something. Like he really was easy to work with in that sense. Um, but I just remember we were all like, wow, that was such like a, a lucky, that's what I mean. Like you kind of get pushed like into being like, we can see your like hand or something. You kind of have to duck. And then it's like, oh, these guys standing in front of me. I really like that foreground. The colors in the background are so interesting. Um, so it was sort of like one of those lucky, I felt like I was like in the perfect frame for my style of shot. So I loved how that photo turned out. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit more on the Kubrick side, because you said something that's interesting. Mm. But before I do that, I have to ask you one more Elvis question, which is yeah. you sat in front of, I mean, like you said, it was like real life concerts. There's all this footage that I know was shot that didn't even make the movie. Um, what was your favorite location to be shooting in? Because you had these incredible sets, incredible locations, the practical locations, like massive cities being built for this movie like what was your favorite place to shoot um and why uh I did like the carnival a lot it wasn't even a real carnival like it was completely a facade the rides and everything were operational like the extras were actually on the chairs for ages and everything. <laughs> doing 30 takes just spinning in a yeah. circle <laughs> yeah. um but it was such a fun Catherine Martin is such a talented like she's so cool in the world she builds so even that fake carnival was like this is the most fun carnival I've ever been to like the just how much detail goes into the stalls and the like um circus acts behind the scenes that he walks through it was just like so it was like a visual feast to photograph and like the lighting was so cool there like it was just like such a fun place to shoot and then energy wise definitely like the Vegas scenes because like we were talking about before people were dancing between takes and like everyone sort of whistling like the songs and everything like they get stuck in your head but in like a good way um and they're just so high energy and like I was saying like the crew like bought into the energy so it sort of helped make it you feel like you were behind the scenes and that was I really liked those days that we were doing Vegas shows or even like the tour around America was just like they were doing these really quick costume changes and then he'd sort of do the concert and then we'd run off and then we'd do it again in a different costume it was just so much fun I want you to expound a little bit you mentioned Kubrick intentionally using foreground and it's mm -hmm. something I'm a huge Kubrick fan I mean like I was about saying I feel like everybody that's into this stuff has to, to at least tip their hat to Kubrick in in one way or another but he's not someone I think about a lot utilizing foreground. I can think of like Full Metal Jacket, he uses it a lot more than some of his films, but he shoots extremely wide shots. Like he's very much into composition where it's like, here's our center of our frame. That's usually where whatever we're supposed to look at is right there. And then like this kind of symmetry, you know, all around it. When you're thinking foreground in his films, are there any scenes in particular that stand out to you? Cause that's something I definitely want to look for. And it's something I, again, like outside of full metal jacket, I'm like trying to think of scenes where I'm like, that's interesting how he uses foreground to paint his picture. Yeah. I, I noticed it uh, in a clockwork orange primarily. I like, I think he uses the art direction as framing really nicely. Like things feel really purposefully mm. uh, placed within the frame, but not in a distracting way. 
Um, I have his street photography book, which I love from when uh, he was like living in New York, finding moments before he got into film, which yeah. I think is really interesting that he, he was like, like 17 or 18, I think when he was taking yeah. a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so his framing even then and like finding those moments, which I have fun with as well. I really like even after you shoot, like uh, going through and picking the moments that mm. you want to uh, release so you want to give to the client I think is a really fun part of the job I really enjoy being like look at this like moment in time frozen forever that I captured for you uh, so I really appreciate his eye in that sense and going through his book even before a shoot or like some photographers on like Instagram and stuff I think is so cool at finding natural framing uh, and I always like like reviewing their Instagrams and their profiles before going on because I feel like that puts me in like a mindset to not take the obvious photo. I had a photography teacher over like a summer course when I was about 14 who was saying like if there was a, a flower and you asked 10 photographers to, or 10 people to take a photo of it, that like eight people are going to give you a really similar photo and two people are going to find a different shot hmm. knowing that the other eight people are going to take it like straight on full frame. So I it's sort of like looking through people's work that have an eye for that. Cause then it makes me look for the more interesting shot. That's another great exercise is like thinking what's the one, like, how do you be one of the two people that takes it a different yeah. way? Um, I I'm curious too, like you mentioned inspiration and we, we, you know, I talked about trends in animation and, and different things. And there's definitely trends within, you know, photography, filmmaking that, that become popular use of color, not using a lot of color. Like one of the things yeah. that stood out to me with your work is that you're not afraid of very saturated, vibrant photography, where I think the trend lately, I think it might be shifting a bit, but lately has been very dulled colors, very, mm. whatever this means, cinematic, you know, quote unquote, cinematic um, kind of look where it's two primary colors and that's it. And it's very doled out, desaturated. Um, what is maybe one or two trends you see in like visual storytelling that really irk you right now where you're like, I hate this trend and I hope it dies. And then maybe what are one or two things that you love that you've seen in maybe older projects or when you're looking back at older photography that you're like, this should be something we bring back. Yeah. I, for the latter question, I wasn't as uh, cautious of color when I was shooting before. And then I learned on a project where I was trying to put color back in, uh, like, uh, what's the word? Not contrary colors, but like uh, complementary colors, the ones that are opposites of each other. I wasn't as purposeful with looking or placing things like that in frame. And then I learned in the editing process that it's so nice to have uh, a considered color palette. Um, so now, and now I know how to like put color in where it's not there. And I have to say, I really like Visco has some filters that can change a neutral color to a vibrant color and protect the skin tones. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I like just flick through that colored, uh, filters just to like experiment around. I don't always use them, but sometimes it's so nice to be like, oh, that's like cool if that white is pink or something in the background and their skin doesn't look wonky. Um, so now I think I'm more 
considered with that and I have a little more fun with that and I've definitely follow there's this nightclub photographer I follow on Instagram that I think does really beautiful color treatments and he shows how he does it in post because he's shooting in like a these nightclubs that have like you know the colors you know the right it's kind of like a muddy environment and then he boosts these tones and the color palette that he uses I think is a really tasteful uh palette so I've sort of been leaning into that a little more and I think for social media people like vibrancy yeah um they always like blues um on like a grid I feel like people always like but I just try and make them especially for Elvis because that is such a rich uh textured film that I think it's nice to lean into that uh lighting um so yeah I've sort of just leaned into pushing colors a little bit more recently obviously depends on the project it doesn't always suit it Um, like I just did like a bridal shoot where they obviously don't want funky colors (laughs) distorting (laughs) their designs um but I slipped on like the post I did yesterday. I, I used one of those Visco filters, I think. And um, it's an all white room with a white dress and it made the background like a little more blue pink toned. And it's not something I'd like give them because they're not going to use it. But for my, like, I know people like the colors they use and everything. So I was like, this is fun. Like I like, I think it makes it like a special photo. Yeah. Um, a trend I don't love. I don't know if this is a trend, but I think people just not maybe knowing the camera settings I hate when people's like skin looks crisp like you know when people get the really high definition cameras and they just want like the clearest photo possible and it's like you can see every pore every like hair on someone's face I really don't like that I kind of prefer a glowy uh milky look um for skin textures uh so I really don't like this like it's like the iPhones now some of them like on FaceTime and everything you see your face like oh my god yeah why would I ever want to see that (laughs) right right no it's that's funny I I have a friend of mine who used to do photography and you know and we were talking we were doing a shoot and we were talking and he was like I feel like the first step when anybody becomes a photographer is they like go to Lightroom they go to the sharpen tool and they just go to a (laughs) hundred And like, and it is funny because it's something like, it looks really good when you're starting. Cause you're looking at, you're like, I've never seen my pictures look this crisp before. Yeah. And then you go back and look, you're like, oh my God, like you can see every pore and every wrinkle and every, um, and I'm guilty of that. Like the unsharp mass and the sharp, like all of that. I think when you start, you just got to put yourself in jail and say, I'm not pushing any of those things or moving any of those knobs. Um, I, I'm. I'm curious now, I I know we're getting near the end. I have some questions I ask everybody that comes on the show and I'm really curious to hear your answer. They're they're a lot more film centric um, just to film as a whole, but I'm curious to hear your answers. Um, First and foremost, what do you think is the best decade of film history? Oh, the thing, maybe just because we're talking about Kubrick, but I remember one of my coworkers when I was like interning for free at some production office was saying, that they really liked uh, Stanley Kubrick in the 80s because now obviously that's really mainstream, the style that he was doing and it's very familiar to us. But at the time it was very like Breakfast Club, like um, those kind of more kitschy films. And he came Mm -hmm. in with this really unusual uh, kind of jarring aesthetic. And I think the same with like Baz and like Jordan Peele and those other filmmakers that, 
they do something you haven't seen before and people kind of balk at it because they're like what on earth is this style of storytelling right. and then everyone rips them off afterwards right. because it was different it was cool so I think that shift in the 80s from almost like a, a harmony between a, a kitsch fun vibe and then like a really grand serious uh considered like that they lived in the same world and were popular at the same time, I think is really interesting. I mean, the 80s is a really interesting time because you had that grit of the 70s for half of it. And then you had that, you know, like you said, the bombastic or the goofy, you know, kind of John Hughes style. Yeah. And for those to coexist is really fun. But it, it is kind of, it's the same way I felt, you know, with all the Marvel films being popular now, you know, when I watched Babylon, I was like, mm. this is such a breath. It's a weird movie to say this. It's a breath of fresh air <laughs> to see this very yeah. like gritty, over the top, huge pushing boundaries kind of style against the backdrop of like, we've gotten PG-13 animated, you know, superhero movies for like the last decade. This is a really cool change of pace, but um, yeah, I love that answer. Um if you were given the green light to remake any film, what would you choose and why? I've actually thought about this before. Like if I went back in time and a movie hadn't come out yet and I could have the like good idea to make it. It's almost, I almost feel like I wouldn't take it away from some, this is me going back in time. Right. But I feel like if I like remade Inception or remade one of those movies, I would do it differently. And why I, you know, it's not the same movie now. Same thing now. I feel like when it's successful, already it almost doesn't need to be redone because people love the original if there was right. like a good I feel like my answer would be like a movie that I thought was a really good idea and was badly executed I don't think I would make something or remake something that I like yeah I had somebody I think it was somebody on the show it was either off I don't remember if it was on mic or not because I don't want to throw them under the bus but they said like <laughs> godfather then I was oh, like whoa I was like Okay, that's an interesting choice. But I think they their instant reaction, I think they even said that. They said, my instant reaction is to say, like, my favorite movies, you know, like, because yeah. that would be fun to work on. But yeah, it's. I think when you really think about it, it's like, what's that good idea? Like, for me, there's a movie called um, Death Dream that came out in, like, the late 70s. And it's about a Vietnam vet that they think is killed in action. He comes back, but he's, you know, now he's, like drinking blood he's like very changed it's a it's a commentary on war but in a kind of decaying zombie kind of movie and i think it's really interesting but it just literally didn't have the budget to do all the things i think it could have done and so i would love to see that you know redone in a in a cool way um but there's there's little movies like that here and there you're like if we yeah. just push this this way just a little bit we've got a masterpiece on our hands um for you, what of your projects do you think is the best representation for you as a creator? Oh, I feel like film-wise, uh, the last shot I did, we didn't have uh, audio recording for the first, like, it was a two-day shoot. We didn't have audio on the first day, so we had to take dialogue out of the script. And it was mm. like a five-minute music video, sort of visual poem style. And I think I actually did really well with uh, having the characters because a lot of it is them on their own and obviously that doesn't sound interesting for someone to be like thinking the whole film so we worked really hard my producers and I to make sure that the five-minute film 
uh, you could sort of read like that director I was saying that did that puberty blues Mm seventies Australian show showing the story instead of telling it. I think if I do say so myself, I think I did a really smooth job of it. And there's things I would change obviously now with like hindsight and seeing the final cut and everything, but especially the ending, because there's like a conversation that you don't hear, but you see, and there's sort of a, like a stomach drop moment at the end that it, and then the film finishes. And I think that open-endedness of people having to put their own dialogue in and own, Mm. uh, that was purposeful that we wanted that to be the case, but that's sort of the storytelling that I like is when you leave a film and you're like, what do you think happened here or what? And there's like a, obviously like a canonical answer that the filmmakers meant, but I like that discussion where uh, they leave it open to discussion with a correct answer, if that makes sense. So I think I'm trying to make sure I continue to keep doing that instead of uh, leaning on characters, telling new things. I think I did a, I'm not going to like pat myself on the back too much, but I think I did a nice job on that. And I think I discovered that that's the style of storytelling I liked with that film. Yeah. Uh, You said something else. You've said a couple of things throughout this. I'm like, that's really interesting. I've never heard it said that way, (laughs) but I love, I love ambiguity and film endings. Like, and I know a lot of people don't, I know there's a lot of people Mm. that do not like when it doesn't telegraph exactly what you're supposed to know at that time. But I think what you just said was interesting where, you know, when the filmmaker knows the answer, but the audience can speculate, you know, and I think yeah. that's the difference is like, I've watched movies where you can tell the filmmaker doesn't know. So they just left yeah. it open. <laughs> and I think those are the ones that are frustrating, but I love the ones where, you know, you'll see interviews with filmmakers 20 years later and they'll say, well, I know, but I'm curious yeah. to know what the audience thinks, you know, that's a, that's really funny. Um, your new animated short that's coming out, if you had to program a double feature with it, what would be the film that you would pair with it? Oh, probably Caroline. I think it's very Caroline, Peter Pan. It's like mid-century, 1950s Gothic horror, which I don't think I've seen before. We've done, we've tried to find like specific references and I think we're meshing together some cool references, but I think it would pair well. It's very on par with, if you liked Caroline, I think you'd like this one. Yeah, I'm very excited to see this. Uh, the more we talk about it, I'm like, I'm ready. Let's check it out. <laughs> um, what is a film that people would be surprised to know that you enjoy? Oh, I have like an embarrassing answer that's like my whole family's hot take that this is a good movie. <laughs> and not even like as a filmmaker, it's just like I always watch it when I'm sick and we're always like this like holds up. But the first Diary of a Wimpy Kid live action, I think is so funny. Like, I think that's like my like comfort film that I actually think it's genuinely well-written and hmm. like I know that's like a weird answer for that because it's not like some art house thing but like genuine gut answer our whole family is like this is pretty funny <laughs> we all have those I love 27 dresses so like we've all got those yeah. movies that that stick out um who do you think is the most underrated artist working today this could be someone in any oh. arena it doesn't have to be photography specifically or you know could be a director most underrated artist well underrated I think there's a lot of I think it's harder I'm going to go photography centric I think it's harder to break in to the scene now that people have like established social media presences and before it was so much easier to find really cool talented photographers because they were popular on social media mm-hmm. and now 
I keep stumbling across these profiles. Like they come up on my, like, um, is it a for you page on Instagram? Like the discover page Yeah. or I'll follow someone. It comes up as a suggestion. They only have like 200 followers and it's like the most beautiful work I've ever seen. I find so many, I always screenshot people's profiles to like, make sure I go through it and give them before I follow them. Cause I just don't want it to get like eaten into my feed. It's like, I want to go through and like, make sure I like, like the photos that I like for them. And like, um, cause I feel like it is such a, like, I learn from people on social media and I don't want it to be like weird ghost, like where I'm right. not, uh, yeah. or it's like, I'm almost like, I'm like gleaning from them without acknowledging them or something. Mm. So like a, so much of my camera roll is me being like, Oh my God, next time I'm like in a line or something, I want to go through this person's profile and like actually check out what they're doing. So I think there's so many artists, uh, online that I'm hoping do get traction and I hope they get work and everything. But I think this, yeah, social media photographers, I think, are not like content creator style, like they're like actual photographers, right. but yeah, there's so many that I love that I think I'm like surprised that they don't have as big of followings as some of the other Instagram famous photographers. Yeah. Love that idea too. taking a screenshot and like going back. That's a, that's cool. Um, last question. We've got two minutes and this could change yeah. someone's life. So if you could give one piece of advice to an aspiring filmmaker who's listening to this, what would it be and why? I think someone told me you have to make things and you have to just, even if it's not as good as you meant it to be like, everyone's fine with your next project being better. And you, like, I think it sounds worse to be like, I nailed it. Couldn't do anything better. Um, and then when you go for jobs, you can actually show things. And I think the same thing with the removing yourself from it, that if people are hiring you, they're not going to be like, Oh, they're nice. Like they can be the photographer or they can be the director something that's actually like you have to have confidence in building your creativity and practicing and doing what you love if you love doing it keep doing it get your portfolio together and just do it i think there's no reason not to just do it yeah love that advice well ruby thank you so much for taking the time to do this um i'm very very excited to see your short film in february um in the meantime what is the best place for people to keep up with your work yeah, on Instagram, my username's at Ruby Bell, R-U-B-Y-B-E-L-L. Um, I have Twitter at Ruby Rose Bell. I have YouTube. Um, I try and keep my pages semi-active because so people can engage with what I'm doing. But Instagram's probably my most used one. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. If you're listening to this episode, be sure to go follow Ruby everywhere and uh, go like some of her photos and keep an eye out for future work. Ruby, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.